Father. We could continue all day long declaring that you are great. You're inexhaustible, Lord. Your grace is unending. And Lord, it's in the simplest thing is the breath in our lungs that we experience day by day by day by day the grace of God to live another day, to breathe another day, to, to, to hold our children, to go to work, to, to, to live on mission in Kenya or wherever, Lord. It's your breath. And Lord, we thank you for it. And Lord, whatever causes us to stop and pause and to breathe in, and to be thankful. And Lord, cause it to be upon us. That we will learn in the madness of this world that the simplest breath is a gift from you. We are blessed to be able to stand before you today and declare your greatness. Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. You'd be seated. The simplest thing is a breath. I've asked Andrew to, to lead us in that song. That was a song that uh, um, really spoke to me this week and, and just helped me remember that life is so brief and it can change in a breath. And some of us are here today uh, and we need to realize that. As I was reading a story of Eugene O'Kelly in his life and how a former chairman of the fourth largest accounting firm in the United States located in New York City. He found out one day going to the doctor after a series of headaches that he had stage four brain cancer. And then all of a sudden a man who's a, obviously a very influential man, CEO, chairman of the board of 20,000 employees, the fourth largest firm, he had a lot going on. And you might say it like this, he didn't have time for cancer. It wasn't on his five-year plan. It wasn't on his 10-year plan. And you know, there, there, there comes a time in our life when I would hope that it would not be cancer and I would hope it would not be terminal anything. And I hope that we would somehow be able to control our life enough that we could, we could put the brakes on and we could do what Mr. O'Kelly did in the, when he found out that news. And he, he, he used the word unwind. He said, I need to unwind some relationships. I had to read a little bit further into that and understand it a little bit more to unwind. What does it mean to unwind some relationships? He had some things that he needed to, to unwind, to back out of, to, to fix, some things that were broken, some things that were not right. And he knew he needed to get things right. And so what he did is he, he started making a list of, of the people that he needed to unwind some brokenness with. And the thing is, whenever you're faced with stage four terminal cancer, then you don't have years to make that wish list, that to-do list. You have months sometimes. And you have to really be very intentional about it. And so as you think about your life and let's not, let's God forbid, something tragic like that would ever happened to anybody in this room, though we know people who are right now living in it, um, that we would stop 
and we would reevaluate our life. And I don't know what it's going to take to jostle us, to recalibrate us, to, to, to fix our own brokenness that we would stop. I, I think about the couple that's going to be with us in a, in a few weeks, Justin and, and Tricia Davis. And, and here's this couple that they're going to do a refinest marriage conference in two weeks. And I hope that you'll plan on being a part of it. They're going to tell their story on Sunday morning. And then they're going to help us not live their story. Because their story was a pretty normal marriage thing. They're church planners. They were doing good things for God. And, and I, I won't tell their story because they're going to do a much better job with it. But let's just say it went to a dumpster fire. It went from what was okay to not okay to all of a sudden they're staring face-to-face at divorce and they're separated. And again, how does that happen? And, and, and what do we, how do we prevent that? Because here's, here's what the reality is. None of us wake up intending that any of us would end up in a pit like that. Whether it be the health from a doctor or it be the, the word from our spouse that something has, not, has gone awry in our marriage. But somehow in this world of crazy, frantic busyness, we keep plowing through life. And we look at our marriage and we go, okay, I think it can make it another week. Or I think it can go another month. And I think I, can, I got more to life in it. Or, or my job or my career or my spiritual life. I, you know, we keep putting things off in reality. We've got to stop. We've got to stop the madness. We've got to recalibrate. We've got to figure some things out. Instead, we're on a mad dash to the next thing, and it's called a hurry sickness in our culture. And this is the way one person put it. Above all, this is what hurried sickness is. Above all, it's a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more, more homes, more cars, more vacations, more 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 toys, more whatever, or participate in more, more, more traveling teams, more competitions, more events that I can get my kids in so that they can have more chances to do more things, more events, more, more, more in less and less time. Frequently in the face of opposition in real or imagined from other persons. We face this, we come up against this, but somehow we push through it in the, in the mad dash to get ahead, to be ahead, to, to be in first place, to climb the ladder, whatever it may be. We, we face this tension. And so I have said in the beginning of the series, in the beginning of this new year of 2017, I've said, let's stop. Let's not make new year's resolutions. Let's make new rhythms. We're going to have to change some things. We can't keep going the same way and expect different results. We're going to need New Year's resolutions. In fact, I'm not going to even ask for a confession today. How many of y'all already trashed your New Year's resolutions, okay? Because I know if you're anything like the national average, you've already thrown that out when, those resolutions out. Well, here's good news for you. If you, Western New Year's didn't work for you, try the Eastern New Year's. It was just this week, the linear New Year in, in, in China. So start a new resolution today, all right? And you're starting, you're just going to live it with China, okay? Uh, but, you know, whether it's a New Year's resolution, I want to call it a new rhythm. And here's a new rhythm I want you to consider. We've talked about we need to worry less and pray more. We've, we've talked about a lot of different things we need to, uh, to adjust, stay uh, and go instead of just staying. But here's one for you. What about this? Let's not hurry as much. Hurry less and wait more. Slow it down. Count your breaths. Count your breathing and calculate your breathing. 
and the rush and the mayhem of our day because here's what we're going to have to do if we're going to live on a different rhythm. We're going to have to approach it differently. We can't just keep living the same way. Albert Einstein said it like this, it's impossible to get out of a problem by using the same kind of thinking that it took to get us into the problem. Okay? A guy who invents a lot, a guy, pretty smart fella, okay, says you can't keep thinking the same way if you're going to solve the problems of your life, okay? You're going to have to think differently. So let's do this. We've been thinking, hurry, get ahead. I got to beat the person to the, to the office. I got to beat the people to the top of the ladder. I've got to get more than my neighbors. I've got, you know, that hurry sickness that we have that's going on. My kids have got to be at the front of the class and my kids have got to be chosen for the traveling team and all that kind of hurry sickness that we've got. Let's back up and let's wait some. Let's get on a different track and let's learn to think differently. Now, waiting doesn't even fit our vocabulary today. Waiting says, I'm not in control. And I don't know about you, but I have a problem with that, okay? I want to be in control. Something outside of me is in control, all right? And something beyond my control is in control. That's why when we go to the doctors and he gives us this report and we think we can do everything to fix everything and then all of a sudden we can't fix something. Or, or, and, when, and when things aren't lining up the way we thought, we want, we, want to, we want to fix it and make it right and it's out of our control. There are just things, some things out of our control. Waiting says slow down in a world that says speed up. Waiting says be busy even while you wait. Now, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of y'all, whenever you come up to a stoplight and you pull up to that stoplight, you pull out your phone. I don't have my phone with me, but you pull out your phone and immediately you, well, the stoplight's red. Okay. You got, why, why waste that perfect good time uh, and, and pray or anything like that? You know, you, you start looking at emails or you start looking at social media. All right. I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. All right, anybody else confessing in here? Okay, good, good, good. All right, good, we've all confessed now. Because what happens is even in the busyness of while we are waiting, we cannot wait. We cannot allow that. It's, it's almost we think it's not human nature. But what if we were to come at life and to slow it down and to stop it, to pull back off the throttle some and to get away from the craziness of it all? Take your Bibles and find the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be. Probably a very familiar passage to some of you. Isaiah is a great book on a prophetic words written in a, in a Hebrew prose and poetry. And, and here's Isaiah, probably one of the most well-known prophets of them all. One person said it like he's the prophet par excellence. Uh, he was the nephew of the king of Judah. Uh, so think about it like that. So he had pretty high influence uh, uh, at that time, or at least access. His dad was Amos, and his his uncle was the the king, and so that's a that's a pretty big deal. And then and you top, top it off with he marries a prophetess. All right, now can you imagine a prophet marrying a prophetess? Don't you know they had some pretty serious arguments in their home? This is what God told me. No, this is what God told me. This is what God told me. I don't, I'm sure none of your houses are like that. You know, I married a type A person, and we needless to say, go have some fun times together. Um, being right uh, is what I'm trying to say. But here's Isaiah, and he is trying to console, correct. He's trying to bring to light what God has been doing in the nation of Israel as they have 
gone now for years and decades in exile under Babylon and, and they have lived in this pit of despair. And in this whole chapter, he's unpacking, hey, listen, you tried it this way. You, you tried making your own gods. You tried doing it your own way. And that didn't work so well for you. In fact, it just wore you out and tired you out and, <laughs> and you've given out. But let me tell you, there's a better plan. In fact, the sooner you can get off of your horse and thinking that you're God and that you, that you hung the moon, the sooner that you can stop getting off the hurry bus and trying to climb and trying to get to the top and trying to climb to your own, uh, your own uh, pinnacle of your own temple, the, the sooner you're going to be in a better position. We're going to read in Isaiah the last part of the chapter here in just a moment. But I, I, I want to bring it back to us today before we go there. And I want us to try to wrestle on the question, how can I control the hurriedness of this world in my own life? I can't. I can't affect you. I can't affect you, but I can control me. And so if I can control some of the hurry craziness of my own world, how, how can I do that? Because this world is telling me I need to speed up. My boss is telling me I need to produce more. I need to beat him on and on. So how is it that I can control some of this and what can I, how can I adjust some of the ways of my life? Here's the very first way. We need to embrace our limits, okay? We need to say, I can't. I'm tired. I wish I could. I'm unable. But I know it's not cool and I know it's not, it's not affirming. It's, and I know people don't, they, they don't want to hear I can't and I, and I have limits. They, they want to hear that you can, that you can conquer it all and just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That you can do this and yes, you can. And, and, and listen, the sooner we get off of that mentality and get into the reality that I am finite but I have an infinite God and that I am finite, limited, that I have certain, I only have so much in my day and I only have so much in my tank and I can only do so much. And the sooner we embrace our own limits, listen to this, the sooner we can experience God's limitlessness. But first of all, we've got to embrace our own limits We've got to embrace our finite uh, abilities. Look at this passage as he, as he kind of wakes up the people of Israel. Uh, in verse, 20, um, verse 29 of chapter 41, he said, He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're fit, I don't care if you go to the gym every day, even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. He's just basically putting everyone in the same camp that there's not a single one of us that is not going to stumble, feel weak, and feel tired and be ready to give up and throw in the towel. We're going to be faint. We're going to have no might. We're going to be weary. We're going to, we're going to fall exhausted. Now, I may have just described some of you right now. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of y'all are just absolutely wore out? You have nothing left to give. How many of you is like you're here and you're only here and you just hope that you survive another week? 
That, that person in your life is just so draining. The kids are so draining. You would never say that to their face, but you feel it in your body. But yet we think we've got to conquer it all. We can do it all. We, we think we can overcome everything. It's, it, it's, it's never surprising to me when I see somebody burning the candle at both ends, how, how ultimately, physically, their bodies will begin to react to their own weaknesses, even before their mind says that they are weak, even before their mind says that I can't do it, even before they say that I'm weary and I faint and I, and I don't have any more strength left, even though we're there... I've heard of people having shingles. I've heard of people getting colds. I've heard of people facing all kinds of physical responses to it. Clinical depression comes through this. Clinical burnout comes through this. People's output does not match their income. They're constantly giving. They're constantly burning. They're constantly trying to achieve. And all of a sudden, they just wear out. And then they start making really stupid, yes, I said stupid, decisions. And when they get there, they're only one decision away from stupid. A year and a half ago, I went through a very dark moment in my own life, kind of one of those burning the candles at both ends, grinding it out, kind of, kind of moments. And realized my own weakness, my own faint, my own weariness, my own exhaustion. I picked up a book that I had on the shelf for a years, years. I've had it on the shelf, but I didn't read it then because I didn't need it. But whenever I got to this point, I needed it. I pulled it off the shelf, leading with a limp. I thought it perfectly described me at that point, being a pastor, leading with a limp, Dan Allender's book. He said this statement. He says, our frantic pace will in the fullness of time reveal our threadbare souls. Our frantic pace, given time, in the fullness of time, will reveal how actually threadbare our souls are, how tattered our souls are, how worn out our souls are. And when that happens, again, we're only a breath away from falling in humiliation on our face. Embrace your limits. Raise your hand and say, I need help. I need someone to walk with me. I need relief. Stop trying to be God. Number two, limit my audience. Okay, number one, embrace my limits, but also limit my audience. Who am I living for? Who am I trying to please? Who's my audience? If you look here, and he kind of turns the page. Remember what I said about Einstein? Einstein said, you've got to change your thinking if you're going to change your ways because what got you into that problem, you can't keep thinking to get yourself out of that problem. You've got to think differently. Well, here's where we think differently because we're exhausted, because we're faint, because we're running out of strength and we're running out of steam. What happens? Then he says, verse 31, but here's the turning of the page. Here's the new thought. But they who wait for the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, Here's the new thought. Here's the new, uh, here's the new paradigm. Here's the new way of thinking. Now the Lord becomes the focus of your life. You think, but hey, I got so many problems. I can't focus on the Lord. No, the Lord becomes the focus of your life. You're going to see where this is going to play out in the end. But not the problem, because then you try to fix the problem. The Lord becomes the focus. Now those who wait on the Lord. Now listen, this whole waiting on the Lord thing is a pretty big thing. 
And this is not a one-off thing that God just kind of inspired one guy to kind of write it here. And it's a cute, fun memory verse. Listen to these verses and jot them down. Psalm 27, verse 14. And by the way, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Sounds like somebody's struggling right there, right? Wait for the Lord. What's this whole waiting thing? It's a secret sauce. Wait for the Lord to handle. Psalm 20, verse 22. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Can you read that one with me? Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Boy, wasn't that a noble thought? Bring God in on the conversation. Bring God in on the issue. Bring God in on it. Let him become a part of it. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Psalm 33, 20. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Listen, there's so much about waiting and waiting and waiting on Scripture. And I know that that seems like, like, like you're going to the doctor's office. I mean, think about it. I mean, what other, what other profession out there can you go set an appointment for 3 o'clock in the afternoon and you have to go and wait for an hour and then they ask you to pay the bill for your waiting? Now, I'm sorry, doctors, if you're in the room. I know you, you're overloaded and all that kind of stuff. But it's a system that I just don't understand. I, needless to say, I was in the doctor's office this week, and that was an experience of my life. So, uh, so I'm reliving that out right now. So I waited for an hour to get in to see the doctor. And I know, again, there's, there's, there's stretches and there's pulls and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the path. That's the passive kind of waiting. They're waiting at the stoplight. When you get up the stoplight and you're waiting and you get out your phone and you're, you're checking your emails. Not that you, I recommend that. But, I mean, so you start doing that because you're waiting passively. That's not at all what he's talking about here. This is an active waiting. This is an active waiting where I consciously am waiting on God. That I am... I'm believing in God. I'm trusting in God. In a few moments, we're going to have, we have about 20 people today, over 20 people that are getting baptized. We're going to have some of them in this, in this gathering. And what these people are saying when they're getting baptized is, listen, today I'm declaring before you and before God and for everyone that I'm going to live for an audience of one. Now, they're going to struggle with it every day just like I do. They're going to struggle every day like you do. But they're going to declare it today that I'm going to live for an audience of one. I'm going to live for one. He's going to be the one I'm going to live for. This is that, that, that initial step of, of waiting on God and believing in God and trusting in God and having your hope in God. And here's what I want to challenge you. If you've never given your life to Christ, I challenge you. You need to declare your faith. You need to, you need to embrace Christ. You need to find hope in Him and you need to wait on Him and you need to trust in Him now. Because that's, that's the secret to this new thinking, to this new way, to this new way of living. And here's a challenge to you. Go home wet, okay? Go get baptized today. Declare your faith. Come for it. I'll be in the back. You can talk with me. And if you're ready to get baptized, we'll, we'll, we'll send you home in, in, in wet clothes, okay? It's the most beautiful feeling, okay, when you go home wet. We'll give you a T-shirt. You can have a T-shirt out of the deal. But don't, don't do it for the T-shirt. That's the wrong motives. Um, <laughs> point is, you've got to live for an audience of one. Limit your audience. What does this mean to hope, to wait? It means to wait for God. Two kinds here. Theological word book on, on, on this word says that to wait means to wait in greater, eager expectation. 
you know, you're going to wait for God. You're not going to rush ahead of God. You're not going to fix it and then ask God to bless it. That's what I do. No, you're going to wait for God. Until you've heard from God, then you're not going to move. You're going to wait on God as well. It means you're going to step up and you're going to say, God, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to serve you with, with what I have and all, all of my life is yours. And, and I'm just going to wait on you, God, and I'm going to walk in faithfulness with you. And even if it doesn't make sense, let me tell you about the life of Joseph. If you haven't known the life of Joseph, read the last part of, uh, of Genesis. In fact, most of the book is dedicated to this guy's life. He lives this incredible good life. He's lived a faithful life and uh, for uh, a good life, though he had a horrible family situation. Jealousy, envy, strife, lying. It was just a, a train wreck, okay? Maybe describing some of the families that you grew up in, okay? So he grew up in this, in this, in this situation where his brothers literally sold him, threw him in a pit, sell him off, all this kind of stuff. The Mennonites come by, they buy him, they sell him. To, he just becomes a piece of property, a piece of meat. By the age of 30, he ends up in Egypt, some of y'all, I mean, you could look at your, your 20s, you look at your teens, you, you look at your life, you go, man, what a train wreck that was. And, and it's 30s now. And, now. and when's that promise, when's that beautiful life ever going to come true? I encourage you to wait on God. I don't know if it's going to be 30 years. I don't know if it's going to be 20 years. I don't know if it's going to be 20 days. But just keep waiting on God. There's a passage in Psalm that you won't find it in Exodus where you might think you would find it, but you actually find it in Psalm 105. Verse 17 and following, it says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. He physically was feeling the pain of this injustice. His neck was put into a collar of iron. Until what he, God, had said came to pass. And the word of the Lord tested him. And the king sent and released him. And the ruler of the peoples set him free. And he made him Lord of his house and ruler of his possessions. That's the ending of Joseph's life, this beautiful ending. But we don't realize this. Listen, there was a time in his life when this was the life that he was living and this was the life that God believed him to live, but he was in this miry, yucky middle and it wasn't coming together. And there's that phrase, what he said had to come to pass. See, it wasn't time. God has a timing on your life. And sometimes you'll be living in a pit. And sometimes you'll be treated evil-like. And sometimes it won't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. And it could be that it's waiting for a time to pass. What, what is God trying to do in your life that you're not waiting on Him? Wait for the Lord. Okay? Wait for the Lord because you're going to get tired trying to be God. Wait for the Lord. And here's the beauty of it. Here's the promise of it. Look at this. The third is that you experience God's limitlessness. You get to experience God's limitlessness. So you embrace your limits. You limit who you're going to live for to an audience of one. And then you will get to experience God's limitlessness. When he goes on in that passage, he ends it with uh, phrases that probably you've heard before, sang before, claimed before. 
He says, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get weary and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Isn't that beautiful? I just want to skip to the end there. That's where I want to go, God. But I also want to be God. And I also don't want to have limits. No, he's going to put us in a situation where we have to wait on him. And then we experience this. See, I want you to jot this down or just remember this, that just because God may be silent in your life right now doesn't mean God is still in your life. You may not hear him, but he's working. God does some of the deepest work in our darkest days if we wait on him. He does the deepest work in our darkest days if we wait on him. What will we experience? We'll experience the limitlessness, the limitless strength that comes. Strength. He says he will renew their strength. That word new is the Hebrew word to get a new set of clothes. Man, once you've been wearing the tattered stuff, once you've been living the tattered life, you want new. God's going to give you new. It's going to be beautiful. Listen, God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you. I like what Isaiah 41 verse 10 in the message says. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. I'll keep a firm grip on you. That's the beauty of a limitless strength that God will give us because he's holding us. He's keeping us. He's carrying us. He's going to get us through it as we go through. Number two, we'll experience limitless possibilities. There's a perspective that you get. Now, I like it that he said this. He said uh, in verse 31, he says, they will wait on the Lord. They will renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know, he could have said they will run like ostriches. They'll devour like vultures. They'll gobble like turkeys. But he didn't. He said they're going to soar like eagles. Soar like eagles. I have to believe that he was drawing from the history of Israel because Israel had experienced some dark days back when they were in Egyptian bondage, back whenever the big superpower of that day wasn't going to let them go. And what does God do in this when their circumstances are overwhelming and they're trusting and they're hoping and they're waiting on God, God swoops in and makes, gives them a, a level of, of possibilities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Listen to this verse. I have to believe that Isaiah is referring back to this. Exodus 19 verse 4 says, You yourselves have, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. There's a beautiful imagery in the eagle. When you think about it, superpower Egypt, I bore you up on eagle's wings. Superpower Babylon. What what was superpower Babylon? If you'll wait on the Lord, he'll renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. There's 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 a possibilities that you don't have that you haven't experienced because you haven't waited And let God, again, swoop in and lift you up. 32 times in Scripture, the metaphor is given of the Christian life of that being an eagle. In your life, I pray you will soar. Limitless possibilities, limitless endurance. You will run 
and not get weary. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I run, I get weary. In fact, I hate running, but I run because I need to run. I tell people this, I run every day because I eat every night. And so you got to do it, all right? But to be able to run and to run and to run and to have a strength and an endurance and to be able to to keep going. You, you think about running a 100-meter dash? Yeah, you can run. Your, your lungs are going to explode whenever you get to the finish line. Or you can run a marathon. You watch a marathoner. Their legs are tired. But when they cross the finish line, they don't collapse most of the time. They, they make it. They get it across. They go for 26 miles. 26.2, I think. They go that full distance. There's an amazing ability that comes with, with being a child of God that you have strength from God that I can't, you can't bottle it up and find it in any, anything else. Verse 29, I want you to read it out loud with me. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might. We talk about the possibilities of limitless living with Christ when waiting on him. There's, almost, there's also limitless joy. There's, there's a joy that comes to us that I can't find any other way. Sometimes you can't run. Sometimes you can only walk. But you walk and you don't faint. There's sometimes life just crushes you. But God somehow gives us, when we're waiting on him, the ability to take another step. You're not running now. You're just walking. But you keep walking and you don't faint. A pastor from... Waco, Texas, shared a story one time about another pastor in another town about 60 miles or so outside of Dallas. It was a Friday morning, and he had dropped his little daughter, Joy, off at school and gone back to the church to prepare things for Sunday to make sure everything was all ready. And things were pretty well finished and done. And he got a call from the school nurse saying, hey, your daughter has a fever. <clears throat> we would like to give her some Tylenol. We think that that'll break it. And uh, so, yes, gave her permission to do that and went on about his business. They called back about an hour later, said, hey, the fever's not breaking. In fact, it's climbing even more. It's not even holding steady. You probably need to come pick her up. It's probably not good for her to be here around other students, but also for her own good. So he did. He went and picked her up. By the time he got there, her fever had continued to rise. So he said, I'm going to take my daughter to the, the physician. Took her to the emergency room. And the doctor in the hospital and uh, there said, you know, uh, I don't know what's going wrong with your daughter, but it's, it's something that I don't think our, our hospital can take care of. So I'm going to encourage you to get your daughter as fast as you can to Parkland Hospital in Dallas and make haste. Now, I don't know why they didn't air flight her or anything like that. Maybe it was before that time. But... 65 miles, they made the track as fast as they could to Parkland Hospital on a Friday afternoon. By Friday evening, the daughter named Joy had stepped into eternity. In a matter of hours, it just happened like that. Now, that pastor did something that I can tell you right now, I don't think there's any way under the sun I'd be able to do. But on Sunday morning, he stepped back into, on the stage, he opened his Bible, and he got ready to prepare, to share the message that he had already prepared earlier that week. And I'm thinking, there's no way you're going to see me for weeks if I lose my 
my daughter. And, and he opens up his Bible and he shares the message that he had already prepared that Sunday morning. The title of the message, When You've Lost Your Joy. When You've Lost Your Joy. How in the world can anybody even keep functioning in life whenever they've lost their joy physically? It's because there's something that God is, enables us to do that we're able to keep going when there is that absolute total dependence upon Him, absolute trust in Him. When we wait on the Lord, He will renew our strength. We will mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not get weary, and we'll be able to walk and not faint. It's a secret that most people in this world don't know about. You have the opportunity today to experience just the beginning of it, and you're going to get to see the witness of it right now.